Hello and welcome to this, the first of two very special episodes of the Life of Die podcast. The central topics of discussion in these specials will be the Strong Team Dog miniatures game and the Judge Dread miniatures game, both of which are published by Warlord Games. And I'm absolutely thrilled to say that I'm joined by the lead designer in both games, writer and all-round tabletop gaming legend, Andy Chambers. Andy requires little introduction, but for anyone not in the know, I first became aware of his work through several supplements and battle reports for 2nd edition Epic in the 1990s. But during his time with Games Workshop, Andy was lead designer in such classics as Necromunda and Battlefleet Gothic, and indeed has written a number of novellas set in the Warhammer 40,000 universe. Outside of his time with Games Workshop, Andy was lead designer on Mongoose publishing Starship Troopers miniatures game and Dust Warfare for Fantasy Flight games. More recently, he's worked extensively with Warlord Games, creating Blood Red Skies, which is a World War II air combat game, as well as the games we'll be chatting about today. Two games based on 2000 AD related properties, the Strong Team Dog Miniatures game and the Judge Dread Miniatures game. This first podcast takes us through Andy's journey of creating a system which was used for both games and makes for a great listen for anyone interested in either of those systems or indeed the development of a gaming system. So without further ado, welcome Andy. Oh, hi there, Gordon. It's lovely for you to invite me on tonight to have a bit of a chat. Oh, it's lovely to have you here. So thanks for joining me. So as a long-time 2000 AD fan myself, I thought a good place to start this would be to ask about your own background with the Galaxy's Greatest comic. Can you remember your first prog? I've been trying to remember the number of it. I had to dig around. I've actually got a, a prog 152 on hand, but I've got a feeling it was it was before that. So that would make me 13 years old, and I'm sure I remember uh, reading them at junior school rather than at comprehensive school. So... I... No, no, I can remember the Judge Dread strip that was in it, but I can't remember the prog number for it. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> what, which strip was it out of interest? Uh, there's one where he fights a bunch of guys that have got like construction exoskeletons. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're doing a robbery with him, like ripping the safe door off with it and all this sort of stuff. And he kind of hunts them down and ends up on um, like the monorail with the last of them. And uh, that that just has stuck in my mind ever since. That was kind of my, my first, like, oh, wow, 2000 AD experience was reading that strip. Yeah, I love that story. I've actually just written a Judge Dredd adventure, which is kind of happening parallel to that storyline, so that's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. It's it's because it's an amazing mem- – it's just a one-off, one-shot, and it's just an amazingly memorable bit of sort of like mega city life, you know, day in, the day of Judge Dredd sort of thing, not even a day, you know, half an hour. But uh, yeah, it really makes a mark, and it really shows off the city really well. I felt. Yeah, and the kind of the uh, busybody that's kind of following them around. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's a great story that one. So, was Dread your favourite strip, or was there other strips that were your particular favourites? Um, I've always, yeah, I've always liked Dread. I mean, it, it's it's been through some highs and lows over the years because it's it's such a perennial that it's always in there. So, not everything's been great for it, but. I've always loved Dread. Uh, Strontium Dog, it will not surprise you in the slightest, uh, was another one of my favourites. I always loved anything with Esquira art. Yeah. Um, so I liked all the Stanley Steel Rat strips that they did as well uh, over a period where they, they converted those stories into a comic strip. I thought they were ace. Uh, what else? Uh, the VCs, that made a big mark in its time as well. Was that Jerry Finlay Day, I think it was his name? And uh, Cam Kennedy, I think, did the art in that. 
Yeah, again, they went through different artists, but Cam Kennedy's art was the the one that really sold me on it more than anything else. They they did yeah, just nice looking spaceships and space war with the with the geeks. So that was a cool one and uh, really made a mark for me. Let me see what other stuff's perennial that sort of like lasted through. Uh, Rogue Trooper as well, although again that that's been so, through some serious highs and lows over the years. Slain has been another one for me because. It's such a rarity to see like a fantasy strip like that done mm-hmm. um, at all, really, let alone in 2000 AD. So I, I used to like Blackhawk actually as well, uh, which is kind of the predecessor to Slain. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. That's one of the ones that's passed me by. Uh, I came on a bit late, um, so a lot of the a lot of the early stuff I've read is through all the, the case files and you know the reprints of the 2000. Yeah, that, that that's an old like Star Lord strip, I think it was. Yeah, uh, that kind of came across when they they merged with Star Lord, so it's really early on, and yeah, kind of fell by the wayside in the end. Yeah. So that sort of stuff really fairly predictable, as you might imagine, given the trajectory of my career thereafter. Oh, well, mustn't not mention Nemesis the Warlock as well. Oh, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> that was my favourite. <laughs> Absolutely love Nemesis and ABC. And ABC Warriors, which kind of intertwines with it at times as well and stuff like that as well. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. ABC Warriors didn't, in my mind, sort of like separate itself out as a strip until quite a bit later. But uh, I did catch some of the earlier stuff, which is kind of what it's grounded in. So that was very cool as well. So yeah, a lot to go at, really. And it, it really kind of opened up my mind to fantasy and science fiction across a you know a broad range of different ideas and takes on stories i i actually still subscribe to this day we get 2000 ad because i really value it i mean it's it's a weekly comic even now that they're producing so that's quite something really yeah fantastic so you must have been absolutely delighted then to uh, then be tasked with uh, bringing stronton dog to the table so I was just wondering how did how did you first become involved then with that with that project? Um, I'd been doing. I moved back. I've been living in the US for a few years, and I moved back in 2011. And I picked up some work with Warlord at the time because mm-hmm. I was doing freelance stuff, and uh, so I wrote some alt action books for them, and just sort of like you know reconnected. And there's a lot of guys there that uh, are ex workshop that I used to work with back in the day as well. And so through them, sort of fairly directly from Paul Sawyer, I think he told me that um, they were getting the license to do Rebellion stuff. And they, they were already doing like Doctor Who license stuff and so on. So it wasn't that that wacky because they did pursue a few licenses. And I was, I was delighted. It's not much of an exaggeration to say it's a lifelong dream <laughs> to be able to do tabletop miniatures game for 2000 AD. Because like I say, it, it's been there for as long as I've been into tabletop gaming as a sort of like real source of inspiration for me. So yeah, I was uh, jumped on it, absolutely jumped on it <laughs> and said, yes, me. And they were up for that. And Rick had sort of like figured out, Rick Priestley um, had figured out a few sort of like basic ideas of what to do with making 2080 style games. Um, requirements more than anything. Um, so there was kind of some, some basis to start working from right away. And yeah, just sort of like worked it up from there, really. And it's, been, as I say, a real delight to be able to get back onto um, just working with something you've known ever since your childhood. You know, hallowed ground is probably the way some people feel about Star Wars and stuff like that. <laughs> no, definitely. I mean, I've uh, recently been playing the Games Workshop Judge Dread. So that was where I started. That was when my gaming started because I was a 2000 AD fan and I just saw the, the gaming uh, version one day. 
talking about that. I'll have a go at that. And then that opened the door through White Dwarf to to uh, Warhammer Forty Thousand was just about to be released first edition. So that was all. That was really my my mm-hmm. gateway into into role playing yeah. and war gaming, which have stuck with me all my life. Um, so. Yeah, it was it was great as well. When obviously when I, I realised that you were releasing the Strontium Dog game, so it was it was an exciting time for me as well <laughs> seeing that happen. I think there's been a lot of us have been lurking around, kind of hoping for something um, tabletop and uh, based around 2008, and you know, and there have been ones before, mm-hmm. must be said. But uh, yeah, it's nice to see it back in circulation again. It really is. No, definitely. So I suppose starting then with, with Strontium Dog, um, was it always a plan that that would be the first of the 2008 properties to be made into a game, or was it the case that there was a range of strips that were considered before coming around to Strontium Dog? We, we talked around it, and it was clear, um, you know, right from the outset that Judge Dredd would be the big one uh, in terms of, you know, all of the stuff that's in 2008. That's the one that's had movies made about it and stuff like that. So it was pretty obvious that would be the big one. But at the same time, we didn't necessarily want to jump straight into doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, we felt like it would be a better bet to to pick something else that was a bit more contained, and you know, test out the ideas we were playing with and the rule set that we were doing and so forth. Because the core idea was to try and do like a, a universal set of rules that could then be used for you know all of the 2000 AD uh, IPs. You know, whether it was ABC Warriors or uh, just Dread or Strontium Dog or what have you, really, or Rogue Trooper for that matter. So we wanted to know that that would work properly before we got too fully committed to doing Judge Dread. And if we jumped in straight from the outset, we didn't feel like it would necessarily be uh, putting best foot forward on that front. Um, and like I say, Strontium Dog had the appeal of like it, it's a fairly tight history. You know, with Judge Dread with those so many strips, you can go endlessly just trying to decide on what miniatures to make more than anything else. It's like, okay, we make just dread and then what? There's a ton of other stuff to do. Whereas it's a it's a lot more easy to sort of like go, okay, what were big features in uh, Strontium Dog? You know, what were the named characters and stuff? And get them done. Yeah, it was exciting for me because obviously I had seen Judge Dread before and it, it I thought that would be where it would you know that would, to me would be the more obvious one. But yeah, I mean, that, what you just said explains it explains it and it makes a lot of sense. So I can see why you, you did that. Yeah, yeah, we just wanted to sneak up on it, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll go into that later on, but ju- yeah, Judge Dredd's just gets so many different things you can, characters across those 40 years as well. So. Yeah, and the other thing I sh- is worth mentioning is art styles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Strontium does got this thing where it's got a really consistent art style to it because, you know, 99% of the strips were done by a squirrel. Yeah. Um, Judge Dredd doesn't. It's got a lot of classic strips that have been done by different artists down the years. So, you know, plus, as I say, you've got the movies, uh, the more recent sort of like uh, takes on that as well. So it's kind of a lot more complicated question about exactly what do you model for Judge Dredd uh, than there is about Strontium Dog. There's not really much question there. It's like, well, you look at the strips and you model those characters, but boom, done. But when you do Judge Dredd, it's like, oh, well, which version of Judge Dredd are we doing? What version of Lawgiver should he have, uh, you know? What, what does the Lawmaster bike look like in this particular instance and so on? You start having to firm up a lot of detail like that. Oh, definitely. So once you knew that um, Strunton Dog was the, the first property you'd be dealing with, presumably you had to reread all the strips again and, and figure out what you were going to use in the game, as you, as you mentioned there. Were there any things in the stories that you were particularly looking for in relation to adapting it into the game? Um, 
kit mostly. Um, you know, I got uh, Gav Thorpe in to help me out because he he's another inveterate lover of 2000 AD, and I've worked with him before, obviously at Games Workshop, and he was keen. And it was good to have a sort of two-man team for it because we could both read through and like fish out different things from the strips. Fortunately, um, there's a compendiums of all the Strontium Dog stories now, uh, which we were very kindly supplied with by Rebellion in PDF form, I might hasten to add. Boo. <laughs> but uh, we, we read through them all, kind of refreshed our memories uh, on what was there. And once again, it's kind of surprising what you remember and what you don't, really. It's like, apparently I can remember the entirety of the killing from end to end, because that <laughs> made a big impression on my uh, my little young brain. Um, but there was other stuff I'd forgotten about as well, or indeed never seen in a few cases, because I'd missed out on a prog here or there and stuff like that. So, but yeah, it was it was one of the things that we talked about early on um, was that the equipment was going to be a funny one because Strontium Dog really has. I mean, all stories have this to a certain extent, but Strontium Dog has got this sort of like incredible, powerful technology which appears only when it's convenient to the story. Time bombs being the classic example, but <laughs> yeah. you know Johnny's blaster, more variable cartridge blaster as well. Is like every now and again when it was important, it could be number four cartridge or number three cartridge. End of story, you know. But it wasn't always that. There'd be other times that he didn't use it at all, even though you'd think under the circumstance it would be the right thing to do. So we needed to get a system in place that would kind of work with that. Yeah, because obviously just sort of like issuing. A number of number four cartridges at the start of the game. I know what gamers are like. They'll just blast them off at the first thing they see. Yeah. Every time I go like, ha, I've won. Look at me. I'm brilliant. So we, we needed to sort of systematize that to some extent as well. And also have a think about how we could come up with a game where friends and enemies could be, you know, could be the same thing on different days and so on, because it's it's that kind of a background to it where there's often double crosses and the guys who were helping you out turn on you and stuff like that. And we, we kind of wanted something that would encompass that. So it was less of a classical war game in the way of like, yeah, I pick my forces, you pick yours, we line up and we fight. So we, need, we needed to sort of like research into how that would look. And Gav looked at that in terms of how the stories came together. You know, what were the different points where there were fights and stuff like that? No, definitely. And a lot of that comes through in the, the armory and chicane accounts, which will we will touch upon shortly, <laughs> um, which I, I really enjoyed myself. So were there any unexpected ideas for the game that arose from the, the source material? Was there something really like left field that you didn't, you weren't really anticipating, I suppose? Um, I think the chicanery cards, that was a Gav, a Gav idea that he came up with from reading through the strips to add another type, kind of dynamic that wasn't just based around the raw stats of the models or even the weapons they've got on the kit mm. the uh, you know, dirty tricks and playing dead and stuff like that and it, again seemed like it'd be a cool thing to be able to have some sort of system for that in the game um, because then you can start to have characters who are good at dirty tricks just like you know you have characters who are well equipped and they have more armory cards you might have guys who are good at dirty tricks and they have more chicanery cards and so on so it was kind of a good tool to have uh, and that was unexpected. That was something we weren't really looking to from the outset. Yeah, it was a, a great idea because it, it, it does really capture a lot of the, the flavour of the spirit, uh, those cards. Um, and like you say, it is a big feature in the strip. So in, in terms of the actual game design then, 
was it after you were tasked with doing it that you had this game system in your mind, or was it, or was it something you were already working on before? No, no, came up with it fresh, sort of like built around the brief, really, that uh, Rick had done. Of which the main thing was that he wanted a kind of a, an activation system, a bit like Bolt Action, where you know they they pull different dice out of a bag for that, and that works really well. It's a nice integrated system. He wanted to do something like that uh, that used like tokens that we would produce so we could do little special 2000 AD tokens, which is where the action chip system came from. So that was the main thing that came out of the brief. The way to handle special mechanics of combat, movement, and la la la, and all that sort of stuff. That was kind of built off some other games that I've done down the years, really, right. where I played around with different systems and the sort of the dice pool idea rather than dice with modifiers. I think of as being a better way of doing things these days. So I was particularly keen to use that. Yeah, I mean, I, it was one of the things I really love about both the games are, are those dice, because I thought the idea that replacing the traditional numbers that I was used to doing, but I've got a background with Epic and other games like that, where it's traditionally rolling numbers. And I was... Mm. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I know. <laughs> Straight state the obvious here. Um, but yeah, it was the fact that it had this kind of clear visual outcome on the actual dice. I, I really, really appreciated that. Yeah, and I, I'd, I'd first played around with it when I did uh, Dust Warfare, because that used a system where the dice are literally all, all blank, except for two of the faces. It's like five and, fives and sixes are the things that count. Uh, and then I did Blood Red Skies, or started developing Blood Red Skies, where it was just like, everything's blank except for one face, so it's sixes only count. And I'd really just like got into the idea because it's when you try and teach people a game, it's so much easier to say, okay, you get an extra dice for this, you get an extra dice for that. And it's to say, all right, now roll these dice and add one to all of the numbers that you get. <laughs> Do some mental arithmetic, divide it by seven, and that's the number of hits you get. It's just way easier uh, to pick up, I think, for people. So I was keen on doing that. And um, I mentioned the Doctor Who game. Mm -hmm. At uh, Warlord Do. And I was talking to Roger Garish, who does, does most of the work for that. And he pointed me to the combat dice they were using for Doctor Who, which are actually pretty much the same as the ones that we used in Strontium Dog and Judge Dread now, because they were what we used in playtesting. Because they actually went that little step further where they do have different symbols on them. Mm -hmm. So you can have like an armor symbol, and you can have a hit symbol, and you can have another a something else symbol as well. And that again was um just a really great mechanic to be able to leverage to make life easy because you can build in certain numbers it's like effectively a four five six is a hit on those dice and a five and a six is armor yeah so you can kind of build those numbers into the system without them having to be like on the outside where you have to be aware of them it's just a fact of life you know you can roll the same number of attack dices armor dice but if you're counting hits on one and armor on the other one, the results will come out slightly different. So they, they actually proved to be a really useful tool in general. So we adopted them full-fledged uh, for the game system. Yeah, no, it was, uh, as I say, it was something I, I really enjoy about it. And, um, as well, the, the armory cards and chicanery cards, which we alluded to earlier on, um, they seemed really inspired because obviously the armory cards, like you mentioned, the Electro Flare and the number four cartridge, and these things, Electronux, it was great to get using some of that hardware in the game. And I, I thought it was good as well that, like you say, that it, it wasn't just that you had the straight ammunition there and then. It's You've got to draw the cards to, to get those things because I agree with you. 
players with just use <laughs> the most explosive and they just blow them off on work on turn one because why wouldn't you sort of a thing so yeah it was actually a, a big balancing feature as well as that if we're going to have stupidly powerful things then you know at least it can be random that it's a card draw that you get them and stuff like that and it also applies to both sides that they might get them as well so uh, it just seemed like a, a far more measured approach to it than trying to build a system that would do it in a in a kind of more conventional wargamey sort of a way mm-hmm you must have had a lot of fun uh, designing the, the armory and chicanery cards, presumably. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Because, well, it's one of these things where you run through like, oh, we've got to have this, we've got to have that, we've got to have this, we've got to have that, and we've got to have this, and we've got to have that. And then you need to do a few more on the end, and it's like, oh, damn. Um, I don't know, like 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 handcuffs or something like that, or uh, infrared torch. He uses an infrared torch in one strip. You know, you start to get a bit desperate after one. <laughs> but for the core of it, for the really memorable stuff, the things that you know you do remember from the strips, it was a, just a, a great way of doing it and great fun as well. And credit to Paul Sawyer and his guys as well when they actually made those cards, they did a great job with them. They you know they they went through the strips and we we picked out a few things just from going out through, through ourselves, but they did the main donkey work and going through the strips and finding like the right little panel for the time bomb or the electro flare oh my eyes or what have you ah nice no because uh, i like that on the, the cards that there's quite out yeah it's one of the things i love about them they look great and this is one of the things where it's a real joy to work with a comic strip because you've got you know thousands upon thousands of panels which can potentially show a little bit of action like that that you can then use in a printed material yeah as well as the dice and the cards the other aspect of the game which i thought was incredibly successful and translating from strip to tabletop with the, the stats and skills for you know a whole cavalcade of characters from the, the strip because I thought they captured the essence of the personalities that I knew and loved from the strips so I was curious to know before you designed any of the characters did you have like a master list of skills for the game or did these evolve organically uh, almost on a character by character basis uh, it was sort of a mix of both uh, we'd got a couple of skills that I'd written in uh, in the course of doing like the, the core rules for the game, stuff like Gunfighter, where it was like, well, we're going to want something like this. It's going to apply to a few different characters because, again, we kind of looked at things like Western gunfight games because that's what Strontium Dog is ultimately. Is it's kind of a Western gunfight strip uh, more than anything else, and there's kind of like a clear dividing line between if you're into your spaghetti westerns, what they call protagonisti, which is like the main character. You know, the guy who can draw and shoot multiple opponents while they're still trying to get their guns out of their holsters and stuff like that. And the rest. <laughs> so we knew we were going to need some like top flight skills like that to, to cover the, the really major characters like Johnny Alpha and so on. So we did... Oh, what did we do? Want to Ride was one. Gunfighter was another. Brawler was another. And that was about it, I think, for sort of generic skills that we did on the way through. And then for the rest of them, we literally went through and said, well, do they get one of the, you know, core generic skills? And what else should they have to sort of fit in with the, what the character was that was shown in the strip and what abilities they showed off in the strip? So, yeah, they, they were kind of done by hand for most of them uh, in terms of skills. Could be particularly fun when you get to the, like, the weird brothers and stuff like that. Of like, okay, what's your special skill? Uh... <laughs> yeah, he's, he's here, wasn't it? <laughs> There's one in them. Snaky hair and bit treachery. That's what his weird special skills are. <laughs> <laughs> Shooting your own allies in the back, literally, at some point in the strip. That's right. 
I've forgotten about that. I'll need to get a game again now. They appear like two or three times, and each time he shoots his own side at some point. That's why I put a rule in for it. It's like, <laughs> okay, this guy clearly gets victory points from killing his own people. <laughs> no, it was, it, was, uh, it was really successful, I thought, um, so I, I really appreciated that, that uh, the, the rules for the character. It was a lot of fun to do. Honestly, it was, you know, like trying to like figure out what would make the Styx brothers feel like the Styx brothers in play and things like that. Yeah, and the Styx were always favourites of mine as well. I, I love the Styx brothers. I just, I think because the the uh, outlaw storyline that was my favourite of the the Strontium Dog strips. I just thought that was fantastic. That that one, and but I like the killing as well. By the way, a lot. <laughs> There's so many good ones. That's the problem. This is the thing. This is the thing. That there's a lot of really amazingly good. And this, it was also an easy sell to people when you were saying, like, oh, you never heard of Strange. No, go and read the strips. They're amazing. Because you know you're going to hook him in with those because it, it's good stuff. It really is. No, definitely. It's still on the abilities. Was there any of the special abilities in the strip that you found particularly difficult to translate to the, the tabletop? Um, i say in a few cases, there was like what ability they should have, if any. Um, Durham Red was a bit of a tricky one. She's got this sort of like, well, she's sort of a vampire. She's sort of got, you know, mutant vampirism powers, but how far do you go with that? Mm -hmm. And how do you kind of balance it off so that she's actually a bit unreliable when she's got, you know, like a blood frenzy and so on? So that was the one that stood out for me as being the tricky one, trying to get right. I like the thing as well that was in for her about trying to double cross at the end of the. <laughs> At the end of the adventure, that was good as well, um, which was picked up from the strip, which I thought was great. So yeah, it's all these wee touches. I think that you know, M did it's read the Strontium Dog comic. I, I really think they would appreciate it. You know, if they've not given this, if they've not looked at the system, I think they should because um, there was so many of these little touches and little details that have been picked up, which I thought was great. Oh, dude, it, it it's a love letter, really, from me and Gav about Strontium Dog in general. So, you know, we, we really gave it our best shot on trying to translate it into a, a cool game. One of the things I really loved about it was the um, the system Gav came up with for doing scenarios, mm -hmm. which, again, we sort of talked around how to do it. But the fact it can be such a shifting set of circumstances between the two sides and what they're there for and what they hope to achieve, I think he did a really good job with that. Yeah, no, the... the uh... The jobs or scenarios, um, as, you, as you mentioned, that I thought they were really geared for the setting. I thought they were really good that way and strong. I was wondering, were there many rejected scenarios? And if so, was there, is, do you think there's any likelihood we might see some of these other scenarios for maybe future supplements? It's a bit of a tricky one because, because he built this system which kind of produces scenarios it's hard to sort of like add on to it very successfully. I think probably the best bet for that is to try and write up scenarios you know, to a specific kind of incident that you're trying to reproduce or something like that, rather than trying to bolt things onto uh, a mechanical system, which is ultimately what the job system is like. You know, you plug things into one end of it and you get a scenario out the other end of it. Oh, allies! That was the other thing. The other thing that we needed to include was allies. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, again, from reading through the strips of like just the the Joes that turn up and generally get shot or something like that. So we built up the a sort of a, an ally system as much to help feed into the campaign uh, that we were writing for it as anything else. Yeah, and I was pleased to see Midden Face McNulty as a, as a Scotsman. I always appreciated that character. <laughs> oh, he's, he's unmissable. He, he's like one of the main, sort of like main string Trantim Dark characters, so we weren't going to miss out on him. Yeah, couldn't, 
And it also gives us the opportunity to put help my boob in there and stuff like that. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I think probably some Scots might be offended by some of the some of the stuff that uh, Middenface says. But then when you realise that Jordan Wagner was was living in Greenock, um, you can accept it. It's, it's kind of one of those things. It's okay coming from your own. <laughs> but if yes. an American wrote it, maybe be really really offended. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'd always assumed that was the case, that the whole reason that was there is because, you know, they, they were up in Scotland doing their work, so they were living it. Yeah, definitely. And so, in pre- presumably, uh, playtesting would have been the next stage. Was, was that a long process, or was it fairly straightforward? Or? You, you kind of, yeah, people always think you like you write a game and then you playtest it, but it, it's it's kind of more integrated than that. So we were starting to dick around with things fairly early around it early on in terms of rolling dice and so on and then you, you kind of ramp up as you go not not horribly long overall playtesting tends to be a lot more about whether the the sort of like mechanics on the tabletop hold together more than anything else mm-hmm. no i saw that i just that was something i'd never really known how it worked and yeah so that's that's interesting that it's it's kind of happening all the way through it rather than i always assumed it was like you wrote the game then you play test and then they feed back and so it's, it's much more. No, no, no. You don't do it that way because the, if you write the game, then you playtest it and it doesn't work. <laughs> it's a lot harder to go back and change everything to make it work. Uh, so you, you kind of build it up over a period of time and test out different parts of it as you go. It's a lot less sexy than people think it is, really. <laughs> uh, you know, eventually you get to start playing with armory cards and chicanery cards, but that's a long way down the track, Yeah, for example. Uh, one of the first things that we had to play around with quite a lot was the, the whole way the action chip system worked and how that would interact with things like uh, getting pinned and making star chips actually good enough. Because one of the key problems we knew we were up against was we'd already talked about it in terms of like, okay, what's going to go into the starter box for Strontium Dog? And it's like, well, we're going to have Johnny Alpha. We really ought to have Wolf. Uh, I guess we'll have the, the Gronk as well. Okay, so that's one side on the other side and we, we picked on Max Bubba because that's uh, you know, one of the real operatic storylines for um, Johnny Alpha and he, he reappears several times and he has a gang of named characters so they seem like a good bet No, definitely a big nemesis for them yeah exactly a literal nemesis for them and vice versa as well so that seemed like a good starting setup but that puts you know you've then got two veteran gunslingers and a gronk versus five fairly tough guys, clearly not as tough, but a kind of two to five split or three to five split was going to be tricky in terms of just activations and how much one side can get done over another one, for which there's a cautionary tale that comes later when we get to Judge Dredd. Uh, so we played around with that a lot to try and get the Starship system working properly, whereby, you know, with momentum, Johnny and Wolf could take down the entire uh, entirety of Mac Bubba's gang without getting blown to pieces in the process. Yeah, and the, and the balance works very well from having played a lot of games myself of it. I, I know that they, that actually works pretty seamlessly, to be honest. I thought the balance of it was really, really good, no matter kind of which, which gangs are put together. And it was a lot of fun. Sometimes the good guys would win, sometimes they wouldn't. But yeah, it was always fun. And it was always we, the card system as well, as I said, it always kind of delivered little twists. Yeah, that, that's really good because it, it makes it eventful. Whatever happens, it's going to be eventful. You know, it won't be dull. Unpredictable as well. You know, that you, sometimes you, you can tell in a game uh, the way the flow is going, how it's going to 
pan out, you know, the cards I found were great for just turning things on its head. <laughs> but again, with a really limited number of models that we were looking at, this is why having things like Play Dead and so on were really important to get into the chicanery deck. So it's like, oh, we've finished them off. Ah, ha, ha, no, you haven't, and all that sort of stuff. Because, like I say, you're playing with a handful of models on both sides, so no harm, no foul, really. And things can be over too quick if you're not very careful. So, yeah, that extra randomness on the cards was, as we found more and more through our games, a real uh, boon to, um, as I say, keep people on their toes. Not exactly the most balanced game that I've ever created, I must confess, but it is fun, and it is eventful. Yeah, well, like I said, I didn't, I don't think there was any games that I had where it, it was really easy for one side or the other. So I, I certainly never had any problems with the with the balance of the game. So as a result of the playtesting, were there, were there any major changes made to the system or was it really smooth sailing? Yeah, I, I say it was a bit choppy at first, getting the action chip system down and the star chips worked successfully because we, we tended to go from like, Guys with star chips is kind of like they're just a shade better than normal guys. To oh, they are gods and they can do everything. And uh, we eventually managed to hit sort of like a good middle ground with the idea that you can get pinned from screwing it up. So that was the the biggest sticking point. All the stuff to do with like guns and shooting each other and just general stats that all worked fine from the outset. So that was a blessing. But like I say at this point, I've done number of tabletop games, quite a number of tabletop games, so that, that sort of thing comes fairly easily. It, it's more about the ni- dynamics of how the turn the activations work is, is the tricky part, because to a certain extent we're going into a slightly unknown territory with uh, effectively w- random activations. So that was a bit of a learning experience in itself. Yeah, it was definitely a new thing to me because I was so used to one side moves or side moves, so I, I found it really interesting. And I, th- I think that was why the game was quite unpredictable in some ways, because there was some some games where Johnny was constantly getting reactivated. But sometimes, if it went, yeah, if you, as you say, if it didn't, the roll didn't come your way and you get pinned, then it it could be a lot trickier. And I would sometimes change my tactics as a result and play a little a little more defensively. Yeah, the, the unpredictability of it is one of the the things I really enjoy about it. As I said. It meant you, you never knew what was going to come next. <laughs> One of the things I was going to mention was that both the Strontium Dog and Judge Dread games have got lovely glossy rule books, which have got a great mix of game photos and images from the strip. And obviously you were reading through all that stuff, as you were mentioning earlier on. In the case of the the latter, did you have much say in the choices of panels to illustrate the rules, or was that...? Uh, we, we'd make occasional suggestions just in the in the body text of, like, this, I feel, would be a really good thing here. But for the most part, again, that was Paul. Uh, he's the reason those books look so good overall, because he's a big fan, huge fan of 2000 AD as well himself. So, you know, he wants to do right by them, and he's got a good, strong graphic sense from years and years and years of doing, like, White Dwarf magazine, and years and years and years of doing stuff for Warlord Games now, and producing books there. And he really put his best foot forward. Rebellion, you know, gave us access to all of the artwork uh, for comics back in for decades so basically if we could find right panel from somewhere then you know we could get original artwork for it from from the comic strip and pop it right into the book um they do look amazing i love those books they look really really good yeah i agree <laughs> i always love seeing the you know all the kind of favorite strips all the, the little panels from it 
yeah. I can't, I can't resist looking at them and reading them as well. Exactly. And I'm telling you, man, from the perspective of trying to write a tabletop game from it, though, you know, having again, written lots of tabletop games without having that facility, the ability to have a little panel of art that kind of shows what you're talking about, you know, whether it's a gas bomb going off or rampaging dinosaurs or whatever, is just amazing. It's amazing to have that ability to go like, oh, show this here. Because it, it means that everything can be shown in pictures rather than words, or a lot more of it can be shown in pictures rather than words. And it, it makes it this really very kind of comic booky experience going through the rule book as well, which is great because it's really suitable because that's what it is. No, definitely. And obviously, a, a huge part of the a miniatures game is the, are the miniatures themselves. And both in the cases of both Strontium Dog and Judge Dredd, would you, did you have any input into the design of these? And were you pleased with how the characters in the comics were realized? Um, we got shown them and got to fret about whether they had the right guns on them and weaponry in general. Uh, they're nice sculpts in the first place. The biggest problem we have is everything that we saw for them were like STLs, like 3D renders for them. So their relative scale against each other was not something that was too apparent. And I think the range suffers a little bit in that some of them are quite slight, some of them are quite a bit bulkier and so on. So, uh, that's a bit of a downside to that process rather than actually having physical miniatures you can line up earlier on. But no, no, for the most part, because they were coming straight from you know illustrations in the comic book and they were faithful renditions of them, mm-hmm. that was, again, a bit of it that was really, really easy compared to doing uh, your usual tabletop game. Do you have reference? And it's like, does it fit the reference? Yes, it does. Tick. Okay, moving on. <laughs> The only tricky bit really was just making sure that the uh, Bubba's gang got the right guns or something that looked vaguely appropriate as the right guns for them. That's the one downside to a square is, is after a while, guns kind of just blur into a selection of tubes with a pistol grip. So it's like, oh, what is this? I thought they did get that right as well. You know, the Blizzard and um, obviously the West. Probably I'm maybe focusing more on the iconic guns, but I, I know what you mean. The kind of lesser characters, they are kind of more i suppose what how many ways can you design a gun i suppose is, is uh <laughs> it's kind of part of why i did the weapons the way i did in the end so they're kind of like broad categories mm-hmm. which you could then kind of put uh extra rules onto to sort of say okay this is a blister blaster you know this is a westinghouse variable cartridge blaster but also this is just a blaster a generic blaster to allow for that um, and, and to not get painted into a corner too much about having to say, well, this gun does this, this gun does that. Because it was pretty clear that there was a wide wide range of different weapons being shown. And, you know, it'd be nice to let people play around with that. We already had the idea that we wanted to do the build a mutie box. And so have some like mutation rules in there and let people build their own mutants, their own mutant bounty hunters and so on. So we were already pegged in for having a character building system in there so a weapon building system didn't seem like too much of a stretch after that yeah well since as you mentioned it there i thought that was a, a really interesting and great section about designing your own characters and obviously that allows players to use miniatures from their other collections for other games which maybe fit in with the, the kind of flavor of the strong dog game or judge dread for that matter have you, i've seen a few people putting them to good use but have you had much feedback and on that front at all about the the customization rules? Uh, not a huge amount. Not a huge amount overall. People seem to like them. That, that's the main feedback I've got, which it kind of surprised me how popular that section of the book was. 
because it, it was kind of I say it was there to support a, a wacky idea more than anything else of like oh we can have a box full of mutants. <laughs> so I didn't know whether it would really get that much use or not, uh, but it seems it seems it, it has value for players. It's uh, it's gone down pretty well overall, and no, the main thing I've I've had back is some useful feedback about you know balancing off the numbers really in stat lines more than anything else. I mean, presumably when it was, I know you're an old hand now, but did you feel any additional pressure because it was a 2000 AD property? Uh, we were keen to get it right, but like I say, both me and Gav uh, are very old hands at making tabletop games, so we, we've got a lot of confidence in our abilities on that front. It's just a question of putting the work in more than anything else uh, proud of and that was fun to play. So, you know, we were rattling down to Warlord to go and play it with those guys uh, as well, and just making sure they had a good time, and they did. Some games you get onto them and you just know you're on a good thing, and it got like that with Strontium Dog very, very quickly. So it's got s- sort of like such a strong presence already as an IP. Kind of writing a game within that's relatively simple uh, compared to sort of like coming up with something a lot more from scratch. So no, it was it was genuinely a joy to work on. <laughs> no, I can imagine. <laughs> and I, I think you achieved all the things that you you just mentioned there that you wanted to you set out to do. Yeah, I've I've been been absolutely delighted with the reception it's got. People seem to really like it, and um, and that's that's always nice. As you might imagine it's not a given. So uh, I'm really glad it went down well, and just seemed to have sort of stirred up quite a lot of interest in Strontium Dog, which it deserves because it is an absolutely classic strip in its own right. Absolutely. I suppose one of the the things I would say as a fan of the game myself um, is there was some. I'm still wanting more. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously there was we had a few additional characters like the Creelers and the, the mutant army generals, um, which I was delighted to see uh, added as a as I mentioned a fan of Outlaw and also Portrait of a Mutant. But there's yeah, there's, I'm not the only fan that has mentioned they'd like to see some more of the characters, particularly from the Killing, which seems as it's your favourite. You've got yourself in trouble here. <laughs> Do you think there's any chance we might? see some of those characters or is it really completed now the project um i think there's a chance there's always a chance particularly with warlord because they 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 do have their finger in so many pies at once part of the problem which is part of why we did strontium dog first is that Judge dread tends to kind of blot everything else out once it's you know because it's the the 500 pound gorilla in the room once you've got that system out there yeah so a bit of an uphill battle, I think, right now to get more stuff done specifically for Strontium Dog. If there's more crossover potential, then maybe, which is why things like Mutis are never a bad one. But uh, I don't know. That's not really my department. I would hope that we would uh, sort of like refresh it, some character boxes at some point. But uh, there's a lot of 2000 AD games to do, guys. It must be said. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. Uh, it's a great spread of characters that you do have. It's just you know, you know what fans are like, Andy. Is uh, we're all we're always wanting yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're <laughs> always want more. I mean, that, that's a good thing, and I'm, absolutely, I'd love, I'd love for us to be able to do the entirety of the killing cast. Basically, uh, we're part of the way there, but you know, we need to do the, the was it the Dirty Twins and all the rest of it. Yeah, well. no. vicious malicious was my favourite. <laughs> vicious malicious, and uh, what was the blobby guy called? I can't remember. I think it just was called the Blob. Yeah. Thank you, boys. <laughs> and so on. So, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to do a box set of them sometime. We'll see. I don't know. I might petition Paul about it, just poke him. But I know he's got a lot on his plate, I say, with Judge Dredd right now. Like, oh, God, 
these two morphages shared. Um, I should take the opportunity as well to say that I don't know when it's coming, but me and Gav have written a slain game at this point as well, so there'll be that to do. So you can throw some barbarians into your strontium dog game if you really fancy it. And in that bombshell, the news that a slain game is in development, we have to pause it there. I'm sure I'm not the only person who's feeling a little giddy at this news. Um, so please consider liking, commenting, and sharing this video around wherever you happen to be on social media to MD you think might be interested. But to ensure that you don't miss part two, please subscribe to my YouTube channel or follow us on Life of Die on Facebook. With the focus turning to Mega City One's most famous lawman, you won't want to miss it, creep. So until then, keep on living the life of die.